0: If you have a Bible and you would like to, you can open up to the book of Psalms. We are going to start a new series, and we're going to be in this series going all the way to Resurrection Sunday. And as I said last week, the the first third of this 2021 season, we are seeking to have all of us, all those who would call Eternal City Church their church, we are seeking to go deeper with God. And so the, the series is called Um, God engaged psalms. Now, the psalms are the songbook of the Bible. This would be the songbook that Jesus would have sung when he was on earth. Um, There is much wisdom in the psalms. It's it's poetry, but it's also a book of prayer. Uh, And this is the kind of note of the book of psalms is that we engage God through his word and especially through the songbook or the prayer book. Now, very quick introduction here. Uh, The book of Psalms is actually divided into five books. I'm not sure if you knew this, but it's also in your Gospel Center Community study guide notes. So make sure that you get one of those because there's a lot of meat in that study guide. Um, If you have an ESV, you can actually see this. At the end of chapter 41, it will start the next chapter with book two. At the end of chapter 72, it will start, uh, book 3 and then 89 and 106. And you can see that even in the ESV, the the book is divided into five books. Now, we know that this clearly reflects uh, the Pentateuch, the the first five books of the Bible, book in five parts, Uh, Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And Psalm 1, which we are going to engage tonight, we're going to start with the very first Psalm. And there's a reason we're starting with Psalm 1. It's because it is the introduction to the entire book. And so probably what happened was the book of Psalms was collected. There's, There's many different authors. In fact, one of the Psalms we'll be doing eventually is Psalm 90, which was written by Moses himself. And so way back at the beginning uh, of of the Bible's uh, authorship, if you will, Moses wrote the first five books. Uh, Moses writes one of the Psalms. It's Psalm 90. And it was probably compiled, and then Psalm 1 was written as an introduction to the entire book. Uh, you, all books have introductions. If you pick up any book on the bookshelf back there, you introduction. And what do introductions do? They, they introduce us to the material that is going to come after the introduction. Well, this is much what Psalm 1 is. It's an introduction to the rest of the Psalms, the 2 through 50. I'm sorry, 150. And so we're going to open up the book of Psalms tonight by going through Psalm 1. And then the first Psalm, if you want to think about it like like this, is actually Psalm 2, which we will do next week. All right. So that being said, let's read Psalm 1 in its entirety. It's only six verses long, which is great. And then we'll dig deeply into it. I believe that if we can appropriately apply this Psalm tonight, we will be helped. I believe we will be helped by God and I believe we will be helped in a way that we will be enabled to engage him in a deeper and fuller way because there's a key in this psalm that will unlock at least the potential for a deeper relationship with God. And that's my hope. That's what we're going to do. So let's read together. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law. You could translate that instruction of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And there we have Psalm 1. Well, this message I've entitled The Possibility of Happiness. What a strange message title. There's a reason, and it's because That first word there, blessed, is actually better translated, and some translations uh, do translate this way. Happy, happy. Happy is the man who walks not in the council. The word itself is ashray, ashray. And it means happy, considered fortunate, or called happy. And this kind of happy man doesn't do something and then does do something. Let's look at it. What does this happy person not do? And let's apply it personally. If we want to be happy, which all of us do, all of us in some way, shape, or form are searching for happiness. We want to find meaning and fulfillment. We want to escape depression and escape escape the sorrows of life. How do we do so? Well, this Psalm is giving us a key. The man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. We'll stop there. Now, scholars are divided on whether this is a downward spiral going from walking to standing to sitting. Uh, I personally think it is. Because if you look at the way that the movement goes, you're walking along and then you're stopping, and then you're sitting. There, There is a, a further engagement of these three categories of people which are unrighteous, not helpful, will lead you to death, will not lead you in the paths of life and light. And so when I was young, I used to go downtown and, and buy clothes on Fifth Avenue. Um, this would have been in like the... Mid 90s, 93, 94, 95, and and Fifth Ave downtown was loaded with with what we called gear shops, uh, and, and so I would go down there. I'd take the bus down, and and man, I would I would skip school. Sadly, don't tell my mom. I would skip school, and I would go down, and I would I would purchase gear. Well, inevitably, almost every time I would go down there, there would be some you know gentleman, some upstanding citizen who would begin walking beside me and say, "Hey, do you want to buy some gold?" And I'd be like, "Hmm." and I'd stop. So I went from walking with him to stopping. And now, man, once you stop, they've almost got you. But then it's like, well, well, what do you got? And it's like, well, let's sit down on this bus stop bench here. You know, and you sit down and now he pulls out the goods and he's flipping through the Cuban links and the and the herring bones and the bracelets. I'm like, let me see that stamp. You know And I'm looking? And the 14 is kind of cocked, <laughs> you know, but, but I was such a, uh, a naive person. I was like, well, what do you want for it? I oh, don't Give me 50 bucks. I'm like, 50 bucks? This chain's huge. Sure, I'll buy it. You know, you get home, stick a magnet to it, and it's like stuck to the magnet. And you're like, this is fake. I got ripped off. And, and this is the, the shistiness of con artists. And this is, if you will, a picture here. You're blessed if you simply don't engage. You know, this is football season. It's like, hey, you want to buy some gold? You stiff arm, and you just keep walking. Or, or, or if you're a gentle type, you just, no thanks, man, I'm good. I actually don't wear jewelry. You know, I, don't, I don't really like it. I don't appreciate it. But this is, this is the idea. You know, if you want to think of it in a more professional setting, I'm sure you guys have all been walking through a, a, a mall or, or a, you know, a, a popular uh, Sam's Club or something where it's crowded, and, and that person is kind of scoping out the crowd. They got a, they're dressed nicely, usually a polo with an iPad or a clipboard, and they're like, excuse me you know, as you're walking past. And, and you know, you kind of look at them and then they kind of walk with you. And, and as soon as you stop, they're like, who do you get your utilities from? You know, we're offering a $100 gift card today. If you'll just switch and, and you're gonna get a big discount, but then after a year, you, your light bill's gonna quadruple. You know, they don't tell you that. And all of a sudden you're sitting with them and you're signing the iPad and then you get the gift card and you feel like you won and then and you're committed, right? This. This is the way this works. So the idea here is blessed is the man who doesn't engage like the Sam's Club salesperson. You just,
1: no, you know,
0: no, I'm happy with whoever, dominion or equity, equitable. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That word scoffer there uh, means this, mocker, scornful, arrogant, Prideful, full of self, boastful. This is a person who is just utterly obsessed with self, self aggrandizing. And the idea is you walk with the wicked, you become like the wicked. And so this psalmist here is saying be careful how you walk, be careful who you associate with, be careful who you get counsel from, be very careful who you listen to. Now, as one who used to love, you know, 90s hip-hop, I was very interested to take the counsel of a variety of rappers. Um, I remember, you know, the RZA one time was like, 50 straight push-ups will keep your body in perfect shape. So I was like, RZA's the man. And so I just started working up and I I got to 50 push-ups and I felt like I made it. And I was in some way identifying with the RZA, one of my heroes, you know. (laughs) And, and the idea was I was so influenced. And, and here's the deal. I wanted to be influenced. I was listening for what these guys were advising. And I was like, I'm walking in this way. And, and the idea here is the psalmist is saying, listen, there is a lot of bad influence out there. And the wise are hip to it. They understand that I need to be careful who I listen to, who I associate with, who I walk with, and then who I stop with, and I need to be really careful now who I'm sitting down at the table with. You've all seen the shady, smoke-filled room, and they're playing cards, and each of them's got their hand on their pistol like a Western. You don't want to be at that table. Like, just don't even go in that room. Like, but I'm good at poker. Just don't go in. You're better off not sitting with the scornful or the prideful or the mockers. All right, now verse 2. But this is what the happy person does. Now, listen up. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law or instruction of the Lord. Stop there. Now, it's not just that this person reads the Bible. That's one thing. It's not just that this person memorizes the Bible. That's another thing. This person delights. Delights in the law of the Lord. Now, this this word law is better taken instruction because it means the whole of the revelation of God. And it's specifically talking about the first five books, not just the Ten Commandments, though the Ten Commandments are great. And if you walk in them, you will love your neighbor as yourself and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we fail at every point. So let let me give some gospel right on the front end. If you're going to love the law, love the instruction, if you are going to delight in it, you must have a gospel lens. Otherwise, it will just condemn you and condemn you and condemn you because it's impossible to delight in something that you see your failures in constantly. And so if you're going to delight in this instruction of the Lord, you must see the accomplishment of it in your place by another, namely Jesus Christ, then it instructs you in the way to go. And if you fail, which you inevitably will, you know that the completion of it is already yours. This is how you can delight in the law of the Lord. Otherwise, you cannot. You will just utterly despair because you will see your failure at every point. So the, the, the delighting is only enabled with a gospel lens. To know that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and compassion and faithfulness. He does not treat the guilty as they deserve. And so this is how we can delight. And so this person delights because he, she is able to see in this instruction of the Lord the right path. And, and this person wants so badly to be on this right path, even though they keep falling off to the left and the right. They keep getting back on the path and saying, I'm okay. I dust myself off. I get back up. I repent to live another day. Oh, God, help me in my failures because I delight in this way. This is what I want, even though I can't accomplish it on my own. This is what I want. I delight in it. This is good. Sweet as the honeycomb, the psalmist says in 119. His delight is in the instruction of the Lord. Now, here's the key. Here's the key. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, many of us know something of meditation, but what we know of meditation is more Eastern than it is biblical. Okay? And Eastern meditation, whether in Buddha, uh sorry, Buddhism, or, or the Hindu, or even the New Age mysticism, uh, a lot of just vague spirituality that's out here. This is very popular today. You, you kind of sit in silence and you empty out your mind completely and you try to simply get all the stress out and focus on the energy that might be present in the room or perhaps the energy that's inside of you. But you, you try to do it thoughtlessly. Focus on your breathing. Focus on nothing. Try not to think thoughts. Try not to have any self-talk. Well, this is not biblical meditation. That's not what the psalmist is saying here. Biblical meditation is more like mauling over, musing, repeating to yourself over and over. You are There's a lot of chatter going on. It's not silent. This kind of meditation is very wordy. In fact, um, I have uh, a definition. I love dictionaries, and I love this one, the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. This word, meditation, is rooted in two Hebrew words. The first, haga, literally means to utter a, in low sound, kind of murmuring to yourself, quietly. Rah, 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 rah. You know, if someone heard you, they'd think you were just talking to yourself in a very strange way. The word is used to denote the growling of a lion in Isaiah 31, four, or the cooing of a dove in Isaiah 38.14. Therefore, it has been suggested that in ancient Hebrew meditation, scripture frequently was recited in a low murmur. Now, we should take the Bible in its own culture and in its own context. We should not read what we understand as meditation into Psalm 1. Rather, we should take what it meant to the original writers and say, this is what they mean. We interpret the text in light of its context. The second root word, psyak, was the basic meaning of to be occupied with, to be occupied with, or concerned about. Thus, meditation is the repetitious going over of a matter in one's mind because it is the chief concern of life. Now, from this definition, here's what the psalmist is saying. On the instruction of the Lord, this happy person thinks over, mulls over, repeats to him or herself, repeatedly, what? The word. And we'll talk about how to do that, maybe, maybe some examples in a moment. But for now, you've got to get this picture in your head. We're not having counsel from the wicked. We're not stopping with them to be in their circle. We're not passing the blunt in the circle. We're, we're out of the circle. We're not, we don't live that way anymore. We're Christian. Okay? And we're not sitting with them as if we were one of them identifying. No, rather, we do something different now with our lives. And the psalmist says, day and night. What? Meditating. Now some of you have engaged Spurgeon's morning and evening. Raise your hand if you have. I think this needs to be in the bookstore. It's not yet. Uh, But Spurgeon, what he will do is just openly meditate. You know, he'll take literally half a verse and fill up an entire page with a meditation on half of a verse, sometimes three words, and he fills up an entire page. And so if you want to know, all right, how do I, I have no idea how to do this. You could pick up this morning and evening by Spurgeon. It's, it's by the day. So you can go to January 3 and start in the morning. And then at night, read through and see how Spurgeon is meditating on the word. That's one option. Uh, we don't have this book in the books there either. But Tim Keller has a meditation on the Psalms as well. It's called the Songs of Jesus. Uh, I had the book, and I gave it away as an evangelistic tool. I'm happy that I gave it away. I never bought it again. Uh, But there's another option for you. You can pick up Tim Keller and Kathy Keller's uh, The Songs of Jesus. But what you need to know is this person, day and night, is meditating. Now, what I don't think this means is that literally all day and all night, all you do is talk to yourself the Word. No, it means that you intentionally carve out time to do this now this is the key we live in a very distracted age how many of you it's hard to take your screen and just lay it down so you can't see it flashing is that hard for you you know it's sitting there in eyesight and you're like you start shaking a little bit you look at it you're like no you know i would encourage you put it in a drawer and close it for at least a half hour. If that gives you too much anxiety thinking about it right now, start with five minutes. Put it in a drawer for five minutes. In fact, you can be like, Siri, set a timer for five minutes. Put it in the drawer and suffer there for five minutes. You know, and after five minutes, go get it. You did it. Then, maybe tomorrow, ten minutes. Siri, set a timer for ten minutes. And you put it in the drawer and you suffer. You're like, I did five, I could do ten. Carve out some time to be without your phone. And then, perhaps, you could even use your phone as a tool for meditation. How would I do that? Well, you put it on airplane mode, first of all, so no one can get at you. And then you get out your ESV app or whatever Bible app you have, and you stay there. Notifications are off. The next email can wait. The next text can wait. And you spend 10, 20, a half hour looking at one verse maybe two verses maybe six verses psalm one and you just read it over and over and you pray through it and you're lord what does this mean and we're, we're going to have some questions to ask in a minute but you need to intentionally carve out time to do this or this is never going to get done it's never going to get done if you don't intentionally do it undistractedly taking time to meditate. Maybe that means getting up early. Maybe that means going to bed a little later. Perhaps some of you have long commutes. You know, you still actually have an office in COVID. It's not your, your bedroom. Uh, and, and you can take your commute and don't turn on your favorite podcast and simply try to meditate once or twice, mauling over the scriptures, seeing what they have for you. Well, let's see what happens if you become a person like this. We've already learned that you'll be happy. Let's see what the psalmist offers in addition. But his delight is in the law or instruction of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, we're used to these the projector's not so awesome, but in the original picture, that's a bright red. That's an apple. It may be a Fuji, maybe a Macintosh. But in its season, I like to go and, and pick apples. September, October. How many of you guys do apple picking? Any of you? One of you? Two of you? Three of you? Okay, great. It's fun. But you know what they look like now? The apple trees? They look like that. No fruit. No one's selling you a ticket to go apple picking. Like, there's no fruit. And so here's here's the argument here. In its season, the psalmist said, not every season is fruitful, is it? Wouldn't that be awesome if just season after season after season it was fruitful and, and you were just killing it and you were motivated and you were energized and people were coming to Christ and you felt near to the Lord and things were working out. and In its season, it bears fruit. Now, that's North American fruit. This is uh, a fig, and so this is more Jerusalem. This is more Jesus time. This is probably more what the psalmist is thinking. And you can remember, when Jesus went in to judge Jerusalem, he went to the fig tree, he saw it had leaves, and what was wrong? It was not ripe because it was not the season for fruits, and so he curses the fig tree. Right? And the next day, comes the disciples are like, look, the, the fig tree you cursed is, is all withered. And it was a picture of... The Jewish religion, Jerusalem itself, the abandonment of God, the keeping out of the Gentiles from worship by selling and and making a profit off religion. You remember that from Mark. And so this is probably what the psalmist has in mind. But in addition, here's what the psalmist is saying. It's not just a tree that bears fruit in season. The picture here is one of a tree in an arid land. A desert-like land. And if a tree is in a desert-like land, yet it's near a water source, or if there's an underground spring, the roots can go deep down into that rich soil and reach the moisture, reach the richness of the water which it needs to survive. And even if the heat is blazing and there's drought, no rain, it can reach down deep. And get its nutrients and still bear fruit. And so let's apply this. How many of you have had desert seasons in your life? Absolutely. And if you haven't, they're coming. Just when they come, don't freak out. Because what you can do in the desert season where everything's dry and does the Lord love me? Is he even real? That day may come where you wrestle that intensely. Your roots can be so down deep into the underwater reservoirs that even in those dry seasons you can be fruitful that's what the psalmist is saying how meditate day and night you see the one flows from the other the meditation causes this person to be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. Now the time for this tree here is coming very quickly and I'm, I'm really excited about this. So even in the winter, this tree actually produces some beautiful fruit. Does anyone know what's happening in that picture? That's a maple tree, that's right. And so right at the end of winter, like end of February, March, these maple trees get a hole drilled in them, and then there's a little spout, and then there's a little area for a bucket, and that metal bucket hangs on the spout, and it drips sap. And then that sap gets boiled down, and it becomes pure maple syrup over a lot of gallons, and a lot of heat, and a lot of care, and a lot of love. Now, my goal this year is to tour a, a maple you know, facility and go out and see the, the buckets and see the facility. You can do that you know, here in in Pennsylvania, You can go and tour the maple plant, if you will. Um, but the point here is, think about what the psalmist is saying. The roots go down deep, and they take from the soil, which God created, and, and it's amazing. It's full of life. It's full of nutrients. It's full of what the tree needs. And the maple tree, in particular, takes the water, and it takes the elements from the dirt, and it turns it into this sap and then we human beings can take the sap and boil it down and and man it's waffle time it's chicken and waffles it's it's pamela's pancakes and we're but think about it this is a tree and its roots are taking from the dirt taking from the elements that god created taking from the water and producing fruit now listen we can be like this this is the point We can take from the Word of God. Look at that. Nice amber color. Man, I could drink that stuff. I'm like Elf. Remember the movie Elf? You just, you like sugar? Is syrup made of sugar? Yep, I like it. You know, that's me with with maple syrup. We can produce fruit even in wintry, freezing seasons. We could produce good things. In dry, sunny, you know, death if you're out there too long, seasons of aridness. You can produce fruit. That's what this psalmist is saying. This possibility is yours. How you meditate day and night on the word of God. That's a a huge claim. That if you will but meditate, you can be happy. And you can know God in such a way where when everyone else is drying up, when everyone else is freezing, you can bear fruit. You can have a fruitful life with God. Did not Jesus say, I'm the vine. You are the branch. If my words abide in you, meditate. And you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. If my words abide in you, and you abide in me, meditate. You will bear much fruit. But then there's a contrast. Well, let's not go to the contrast yet. See this, in all he does, he prospers. Now, let's not over-interpret that. Okay? I'm sure that some prosperity gospel person would love to say, See, it's, we should be experiencing constant prosperity, only good. We should never be sick. We should never have depression. We should never break a bone. We should... And that would be a wrong interpretation of what the psalmist is saying here. The psalmist is simply saying that in dry seasons, you can prosper in a certain sense. You can have the ultimate relationship that is sustaining in a healthy way. And let's let God define what prospering is. Let's not read our own ideas in, in, in prosperity. Because to us, it's the newest Tesla and the newest iPhone and the, the most beautiful spouse and the most obedient kids. And, and man, my stocks are on the rise and my mutual funds are doing great and I'm healthy and I can breathe COVID and not get it. You know, that, that's not what the prosperity of this psalm is. It's that you can have a deep, rich, abundant relationship with God and he can sustain you. Through terrible circumstances and situations, where you can be happy in the midst of arid seasons, freezing seasons of life. God would say that's prosperity. You don't crumble when everything else and everyone else around you is crumbling. No, you stand strong because your roots are down deep into God. That's what the promise is. God's definition of prosperity, not ours. Now, God's not mad if you can afford a Tesla. God's not mad if you have the new iPhone. God doesn't necessarily want you to get COVID. So don't hear me wrongly. I'm just saying we tend to read into that word more than what God is saying. Amen? Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Now, let's do the contrast. Verse 4. The wicked are not so. So the wicked are not so in what way? Well, they're not happy. And they're not prospering in these freezing seasons and in these arid seasons. No, no, they are crumbling. I mean, anxiety is huge. And Christians experience anxiety too. And I'm not saying if you will just meditate, you can go off your anxiety meds. I'm not saying that. Sometimes it's biological and chemical and we live in a broken world and our bodies are broken and our minds are broken too. Okay, but let's imagine that our confidence is in God to the point where we are able to handle if you will, non-biological anxieties and pressures, the kind that everyone has. You know, maybe you have social anxiety. You like You feel like you're so socially awkward, you can't even talk to people. So I'm just not going to go out of my house. And if I do, I'm just going to keep my mask on. I'm going to look down. I'm not going to look people in the eye. I'm socially anxious. I'm awkward. Well, Brett just recommended the freedom of self-forgetfulness. You can read that, meditate on the scriptures offered there, and come out of your social awkwardness. And you know what? Most people don't think you're awkward. It's just you. <laughs> and then some of you are. Right? But I love you anyway. I, mean, I love you anyway. The awkwardness makes life more colorful. I, mean, I love you. It's great. So if you can get over your awkwardness, other people will get over it too. They'll just embrace you in your awkwardness. It'll be awesome. Okay? So the wicked are not so. The wicked are not prosperous like this, but are like chaff that the wind drives away chaff that the wind drives away what is that metaphor getting at well in the ancient middle east in jerusalem uh in the time of david and and you know up until modern farming really what you would have happen is grain would be harvested corn like you know substances would be harvested and you would beat like with an instrument The grain and what would happen is it would cause the kernels of wheat to fall out of the husk and then what they would do is in the wind they would take like a pitchfork type thing throw it up in the air and the heavy parts that were the fruit or the grain would fall to the ground and the wind would take away the chaff and this was a way of separating the wheat and the chaff and so here the wind is I think representing these seasons these seasons of hard, and the wicked just get blown away by it. But if you want to take it to the ultimate end, which the psalmist does next, in the judgment, the day, capital D, the wicked are like chaff. And you know what was done with chaff? What was it used for? Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Like the flowers of the field here today and tomorrow thrown into the oven. That's a rich metaphor. And what would happen is, in these ancient cultures, they would have kind of brick-like, you know, you think of brick pizzas, think of a brick oven, and what would you use for the fuel? Well, you would use chaff. You would use dried grass. You would use withered up flowers, and, and you would throw that in there, and, and that would be the fuel for your fire. And the psalmist is saying, if you will but meditate, and not Walk in the counsel of the wicked and stand with the sinners and sit with the scoffers. And if you will do this, if you will but meditate on the instruction of the Lord day and night, make it your regular practice, you will not be like chaff that the wind drives away. No, you will be like the fruitful grain That is useful and brings nourishment to others. That could be ground into bread and wafers and tortillas and whatnot. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now, that's a picture of Judgment Day. There's going to be a great congregating, a crowd, of the righteous. And we know because we have the completed... 66 books of the bible that there are actually no righteous people even though in the psalms themselves this is the case there are none righteous no not one there are none who seek after god there's none who do good and so it's not like we need the new testament to understand there are no righteous people the old testament knows it very well but we know from the new testament that there was one righteous one just one and you know what's interesting about this one righteous this man clearly was a master meditator because you test him in the desert after 40 days of not eating and the and the weather is arid and there's nothing but stones around and then the greatest tempter comes and says if you are the son of God command these stones to become bread and what does he do Deuteronomy Deuteronomy, probably meditating on the law of the Lord, Psalm 1, and just able to spit it out, no problem. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Isn't that amazing? On the cross, Jesus is spouting scripture. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you not read to the Pharisees? You you do not understand the power of God or the scriptures, for Moses said. And, And Jesus is always quoting scripture. It's amazing. Read the four gospels and just look for how much Jesus quotes the Old Testament. You'll be rocked. Surely this man was meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. And if anyone had a fruitful life, my goodness, it was Jesus Christ, worshipped by millions even to this day, and he will be forevermore worshipped as the Lamb who was slain and the Lion who triumphed. And so, if you will, this psalm is picturing Jesus. It really is. This is a picture of the Messiah. The one who was righteous. And by him, we get to be in the congregation of the righteous. Isn't this beautiful? This is, this is substitutionary atonement. This is the perfect law keeping of Jesus. I did not come to destroy the law, but to yours in Christ. You fulfill the law in Jesus. You get his righteousness as if you lived perfectly every instruction of the Lord. And on the cross, he gets your disobedience, your unfulfillment of the law. And so this exchange happens. And you are treated as if you lived the perfect life of Christ. And he gets treated on the cross like he lived your and my filthy life. And then out of that acceptance with God, out of that righteousness that's alien to us, yet given to us, we are in the congregation of the righteous. And listen, without that righteousness that's available to anyone who asks for it, if you will but humble yourself before the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness, ask Him to cover your unrighteousness and to give you His righteousness, He will gladly give it to you. If you will but turn from your sin to Him, You can be in this congregation of the righteous. But look, the chaff, the wicked, will not stand in this group, in this congregation. No, they will be in the judgment. And they will be sentenced. And friends, I don't want any of you to be there on that day. I don't want you to hear, away from me, I never knew you. No, I want you to hear, every one of you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Come and feast. Join the party that will last forever. That's what I want for all of you. And if we understand the gospel, that Jesus in our place is the key We can meditate on the law, even though it condemns us, and still rejoice in it, still delight in it. It's good news, is it not? Amen. So, verse 6 For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, the way is not the Mandalorian. Okay, I, I love that, but that's not what's being talked about here. The way is the way you walk the way you walk. And so the righteous walk in a certain way. And the way they walk is they walk by the instruction of the Lord. And we delight in it. The wicked, not so. Stiff arm the law of the Lord. Stiff arm the instruction of the Lord. I will make my own path. I will make my own way, says the wicked. Friends, don't take that counsel. Don't stand with those individuals. Now, in a loving, serving, outreach kind of way, absolutely. But in a fellowship, in a endearing relationship, in a these are my people, identifying with them and their actions and their attitudes, you can't do that, friends. You can't. For the way of the wicked will perish. Okay? So here's, here's what is being said now. And then we'll move on and we're almost done. If you will but invest your life in this way, meditating on the law of the Lord, giving yourself over to His instruction, mauling it over, asking for help to do it, you will live a life that counts. Counts. That means something for eternity. That when the fire of judgment comes on your life, there will be precious stones And gold and silver left reward for you. But see, for the wicked, it doesn't matter how much fame, how much glory, how much wealth, how much accomplishments, perish. Gone. Don't you want your life to count? I do. I want mine to count. And so now, let's talk very briefly about what this could look like. And, and we only have five minutes, so this will be very quick. First of all, this is not the only place that meditation is advised. You know that, right? This is one of the most famous places. This is Joshua 1, 8 to 9. is Moses' uh, successor. He was Moses, if you will. Ment- uh, he mentored under Moses. And so Moses dies, and God says, now it's your turn, Joshua. And here's what I want you to do. The book of the law... First 5, Pentateuch, the book of the law shall not depart from where? Your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do. Okay, so now it's not just thinking about it and mulling it over. Now we need to take some action on it, don't we? So meditating is important, but it should lead to what? Action. Action. That you may do, be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, after you meditate and do, then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success, Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed. for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. And if you could imagine leading millions of people into war, into you know conquering warlike peoples and, and taking a land, I mean you would have to be courageous. Okay So this is the instruction. Joshua, meditate day and night and be careful to do. And after that, I'm going to give you success. I'm going to give you prosperity, Joshua. Now, here's a a New Testament example of of this meditating. Uh, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. And he studied, if you will, directly under Paul. And in this 2 Timothy 2, Paul gives a number of metaphors. In fact, he says, uh, be strengthened. You are like a soldier, Timothy. You're like an athlete, Timothy. You're like a farmer, Timothy. And then he instructs him this way. Think over what I say meditate for the lord will give you understanding in everything now this is what i expect to happen friends when you engage the word of god this way and you're thinking over it you're mauling it over in your mind you're you're rehearsing your lord what does this mean he's going to give you understanding he's going to give you insight the word if you will is going to open up to you in ways that it never has before So in one sense, yes, this is like study, but it's deeper than study because you are going down deep into God's presence as you study. This is not just cognitive. Now, I love study. I I love digging, but this is you thinking over in the Lord's presence in order to what? Do. To do. All right, now, what does it look like? Well, we got about three minutes left. So let's look at James 1, 2 to 4. Now, for me, this has been a personal meditation goldmine. In fact, I've told many of you, if you're in any of the groups uh, that I'm a part of, either the GCC or the parenting or the leadership or uh, any of that, you know that the last two years have been very difficult in, in my life. And I can remember more than once, I I would take a trip to this certain place, and there's a walking track, and there's woods, and, and I literally, and this is when it's okay to get out your phone, you know, silence, no notifications, airplane mode, and I would get out this text, James 1, 2 to 4, and I've literally spent hours reading it over and over and saying, God, help me to believe. Help me to walk in this. Help me to trust you. Let me Live out what this is saying. Well, what's it saying? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Are you kidding me? I should be joyful when I meet trials and trouble? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, stay putness. You are grounded kind of like a tree planted by streams of water. You're steadfast. You're immovable. And let the steadfastness have its full effect. What will it do? That you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. This text says that God is using trials and troubles in your life to make you strong and steadfast. To cause, if you will, your roots to go down deep into God so that you will eventually be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Now, that goes from small trials to, you know, when you just cleaned up for an hour and disinfected the floor and then your child, you know, decides that the floor is looks like a urinal. You know, that's a small trial to when your life is crashing around. Like, literally all of it's falling apart around you. You can take this text and say it to yourself over and over and you can pray through it God, I want to be joyful I know that you're testing my faith so that you will produce steadfastness God, I want to be complete, lacking nothing and you just, you take these few verses and you just think on them over read them over, mull them over pray them to God here's another one, Romans 5, 3-5 when you're hurting, Paul says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings are you kidding me? Yes. Rejoice in sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Steadfastness, endurance. And endurance produces character, a godly life. And character produces hope, looking into the future with positive, grounded expectations of good. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And you take a text like this and you read it over and over again and you mull over it and you say, God, I know that you're producing endurance in me. Let this endurance produce the character. Let the the character produce hope. Let me have a groundedness and a steadfastness. Help me to endure. And you meditate and you pray and you go deep into God asking him for application. One more and we're done. What about the character of God when you're suffering and facing trials? This is when Moses said, God, show me your glory. Moses, you can't see my glory, for you would disintegrate. No one can look at me and live, Moses. But here's what I'll do. I'll put you in a cave, and I'll pass by you, and I will proclaim my goodness to you, my glory, I'll I'll tell you who I am and I'll let you see the back of me. And so he passes before him and proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, and that could be translated thousands of generations, Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers, on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You can take a text like this, Exodus 34: six to 7, and read it to yourself over and over again. Who is God? He is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is keeping love for thousands of generations. He is slow to anger with me. God is not angry with me. He's slow to anger. But you know what's interesting? is He's also not interested in clearing the guilty. Man, how is that possible? How, how could he be forgiving and not clearing the guilty? You know, don't you? Because... The not guilty was punished in place of the guilty. Now, Moses couldn't have known this. Moses could not have known this. And so he would have taken this promise by faith. But friends, we know what God is talking about here. The only way he could be forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and not clear the guilty is by punishing the not guilty in place of the guilty Jesus Christ he himself accomplished this impossible character definition. Friends, this is our hope. And so we look at all these texts with a gospel lens, don't we? We meditate with gospel glasses on. Because even this text is terrifying if you don't have the gospel. Because if he visits the iniquity and he doesn't Forgive iniquity and transgression and sin, then we're in trouble. But not if God himself bore the wrath, if he took the penalty, if he soaked up the justice that was demanded by his own character. You see, friends, this is the key. And so this is what we're going to do for the next four months up until Resurrection Sunday. We're going to take time engaging God In the Psalms, which are instructions on how to get near to Him, because James says, draw near to God, and He will what? Draw near to you. And so as a church, together, we're going to draw near to God. And this first Psalm, the introduction to the whole book, is saying to you, this is the key. Meditate. Meditate on the instruction of the Lord day and night. And so maybe what you could do this week is simply carve out a little bit of time every day. Even if you've not done this before, five, ten minutes. You can do that. Five, ten minutes. Turn the phone off. Meditate. And what we're going to do now is we're going to sing. This is another way of meditating. If the songs that you listen to and sing are rooted in the scriptures. Now, there is a ton of great gospel music out there that literally our scripture. You know Shane and Shane have Psalms albums. You, listen to them. You've Spotify, you have Amazon Music. Look it up. And what we're going to do now is we're going to remember what Jesus has done. He has made it possible for us to delight in the instruction of the Lord, to delight in meditating, to see our guiltiness yet rejoice that we are forgiven. And that we are righteous in Christ. So we're going to sing right now a song called Forgiven. Through the blood of Christ, we are forgiven. And we're going to celebrate together the victory that Jesus has won by his bloodshed on the cross.